I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Psalm 9. Psalm number 9. I'm just going to read one verse, and then we'll go to chapter 33, and we'll read one other verse that is in concert with these together. I think we need to understand that the God who made this world also rules this world, and it is for his purposes. These verses stand out because God deserves the love of all, all humanity. And I want to read from Psalm 9, and I'm going to, actually I'm going to begin reading in verse 15. I want to bring a little context into this. The Bible says, The nations have fallen into the pit they dug for others. They have been caught in their own trap. The Lord is known for his justice. The wicked have trapped themselves in their own snares. The wicked will go down to the grave. This is the fate of all nations who ignore God. And then follow me to chapter 33. And again, just the one verse this time. What joy for the nation whose God is the Lord and whose people he has chosen for his own. I know you sang some patriotic music at the beginning of this, uh, of this service. You sang America the Beautiful, wonderful song. I remember singing that song as a small child in a, uh, in a country school. In fact, that's where I learned the words and that's where they're still embedded in my memory. I learned them there. These two verses are verses of warning. They're connected to these two passages and along with others in the Bible. You'll find in various places. The warning is that a nation who forgets God is a nation that will perish. And you and I are seeing the elements of this word and of this truth coming to pass today in our land. We're seeing it. You want to, at least I do anyway, I want to put up my hand and say, Stop, listen. God's got a message for you if you just listen to it. So many things can change, but that doesn't seem to be working well. We see it in the headlines, we see it in the news alerts of the day, <coughs> of violent attacks at our schools, even violent attacks in churches. I really honestly never thought I'd see the day when I started pastoring over four decades ago that we would have security people in the church. I never really thought we would have cameras monitoring entrances and parking lots and hallways and all of these things. I never thought I'd see that. But it's real and it's here today. And it's valuable and I'm glad we have it. We see the continued downward spiraling disregard, I should say, for the unborn the degradation of our own culture and the outward attacks meant to silence biblical messages that would address these issues. It's my understanding that the California legislature, they're trying to legislate that pastors cannot preach from, messy, or from biblical passages that would be inflammatory. Well, that means the two passages I just read are pretty inflammatory. And we can't preach from him this morning. I want you to turn for a moment 
to Romans chapter 1. Paul describes this. I think Paul was ministering in a day, personally, I personally feel, Paul was ministering in a day that was worse than ours. And the Romans were just outright crass about many, many things. Listen to this in verse 24, Romans chapter 1, verse 24. So God let them go ahead and do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. Instead of believing what they knew was the truth about God, they deliberately chose to believe lies. They worshiped the things God made, but not the creator himself, who is to be praised forevermore. Then come up to verse 20, uh, 28. When they refused to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their evil minds and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, fighting, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They are forever inventing new ways of sinning and are disobedient to their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, and are heartless and unforgiving. They are fully aware of God's death penalty for those who do these things, that they go right on ahead and do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage other people to do them. Now there's a description for you that can be found verified in many headlines today. You and I as Christians, as followers of Christ, know exactly what is going on because we understand God's word. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, we know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but of evil forces, evil forces, spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Now, I don't believe for a moment that the devil runs around with horns, a little red character with horns and a tail. I believe he works through people. He works through individuals. Individuals that give themselves over to the, to the various things that we have just read about. It's the mission of Satan to stop the spread of the gospel and to make America forget God. And in many quarters, that seems to be working. In the foreword of David Barton's excellent volume called The Founder's Bible, he writes this. We have become a nation that has a tale of two histories, one that has a deep, rich spiritual heritage that speaks of godly purpose and destiny that was born in the heart of this nation as it was founded. Another that is progressively seeking to distance itself from that and trying to pretend it does not exist. Given a generation of dominance in public education where God seems to be edited out of the equation, we have become a nation of spiritual amnesia. Quite a statement. D-Day was on June 6, 1944. The date and timing of the Normandy invasion was top secret. A handful of people knew. One of those persons was Franklin Roosevelt, the President of the United States at that time, who addressed America by radio. 
and said, my fellow Americans, last night I spoke of the fall of Rome, but knew at that very moment troops of the United States and of our allies were crossing the channel in another great operation. So in this poignant hour, listen to this, I ask you to join me in prayer. And on a national radio broadcast, this is a portion of that prayer. Almighty God, our sons, the pride of this nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. Lead them straight and true. Give strength to their arms and stoutness to their hearts, steadfastness and faith. And as for us at home, fathers and mothers, children, wives, sisters, and brothers of brave men overseas, whose thoughts and prayers are ever with them, help us, almighty God, to rededicate ourselves in renewed faith in thee in this great hour of sacrifice. As we arise each day and again at the, and when the day is spent, let words of prayer be upon our lips, invoking thy help for these efforts. Give us faith, faith in thee, faith in our sons, faith in each other, faith in a united crusade. Thy will be done, almighty God, amen. Amazing. The men who wrote the Declaration of Independence and framed our Constitution did not work in a moral vacuum. Many of these people had incredibly rich backgrounds of faith and of trust in God. And that is seen in the language. It is seen in the, uh, in the articles of, the, of our nation's constitution. I believe we can see the hand of God not only in the writing of this, but in the war that followed. I believe the hand of God's, I, I believe in God's gracious hand is still upon this nation. And I'll tell you why I believe that. It's real simple. It's because of people like you sitting in here today. This is why. You people are a force before God, infused with God, that I believe hold back the very wickedness of darkness. It's a small force, you may say. Well, there's not that many of us, and the wickedness seems so great. It's amazing what God will do with a small force. And you're a part of that. You're a part of that. It's because of people like you who love God, who love his church, who love his Bible, and who are endeavoring to live it out in your lives on a daily basis, no matter how that may look, but you endeavor to live it out, this is the force that pushes against darkness and evil. Our Congress has often called for days of prayer and fasting. When General George Washington was handed a copy of the Declaration of Independence, and that would have been on July 9th, 1776, Washington read it and immediately ordered that chaplains be hired for every regiment in his, uh, under his command. Hire them. Just prior to the signing of the Declaration of Independence, Congress declared days of fasting and prayer 
and to confess their sins. John Hancock, a signer of the Declaration of Independence, later was governor of Massachusetts, declared a day of thanksgiving for, his, for God's many blessings. It was interesting, and I found this, and I don't have the exact uh, uh, numbers on this, but I can give you an approximation. One of the first acts of Congress was to allocate funds in the tune of somewhere around thirty to forty thousand dollars to buy Bibles that could be placed in schools. You haul a Bible into a school today and see what happens. It's a whole different game. We would do well to pray again for our nation because we are in multiple points of crisis. The opposing factions in our Congress are more strongly and bitterly arrayed against each other and more so at any other time since the Civil War. We are a severely divided nation. We often hear of college professors who openly hate our nation and call for a socialist revolution. It's incredible. History books and teaching regularly, I believe, are untruthful about our founders, about our Christian heritage, about faith that was connected in these people's lives and work hard to dismantle that same truth. There is a great divide over sexual morality. Those who advocate for traditional marriage and, and true gender identity are often shouted down and singled out for ridicule. But I believe there's hope. It's going to take a huge move of God, and yet God is great. And God can accomplish this. Not in the ways that many people think, not in the ways of some flamboyant type of a type of a work and move. But I believe it's going to be accomplished through humility. I believe it's going to be accomplished through repentance. And I believe, like the old song says, uh, in the words, the song that's titled Cleanse Me. Lord, send a revival. Let that revival begin in me. Revival does not begin in a church. It does not begin in a county or a state. It begins in one person's life. It begins in me. It begins in you, each one of you. And then it spreads across the congregation. It spreads across the community. It spreads across the region. It is like, a, if you will, a wildfire that suddenly there is a tremendous momentum. And God is pushing this thing with the mighty breath of his mouth and the work and power of God's spirit. That's revival. It's not how high I jumped. It's what I did when I came down. That means the most. I pray that God would do just that. A move of God where tens of thousands, if not millions of people would come to faith in Christ and see their lives changed and demand that these changes come into the lives of others. Likewise, that millions of Christians, dull Christians, would become fully alive in God. Fully alive. I quote David Barton one more time. He said, if there ever was a time to profess Christ and to live as the salt of the earth and to shine as the lights of the world, it is now. 
If there ever was a time to live blameless as children of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, it is now. If there ever was a time for the redeemed of the Lord to say so, it is now. If there ever was a time to hold to the lives of righteousness, it is now. If there ever was a time to speak up for Christ, it is now. And if there ever was a time to know the Bible and to truly practice what this word says, it is now. And I believe you can agree with that. I want to end this message on a positive because there's things that we can all be doing. Number one, I believe we need to love America because of its greatness. Here's what I mean. The men who signed the Declaration of Independence had far more to lose than they had to gain. Some were wealthy, some were highly educated, some were merchants, some were farmers, some were ministers. Each of them had a standing in their community of respect. They knew security, they understood that, but they realized that there was something more important than security, and that would be freedom. Number two, pray for kings and leaders in authority. God's word says, I hold the king's heart in my hands. That's powerful. I hold the king's heart in my hands that we might lead a quiet and peaceful life praying for revival. Number three, thanking God for our nation. Despite all of its problems, in spite of all of its frustrations, and I guarantee you, newspapers and, and news media are only going to tell you what is bad. And if you haven't figured that out by now, I'm just telling you, that's, that's the game. There's a lot of good going on in this place. There's a lot of good going on in this land. Thank God that it's still the greatest place to live in the world. You want to go live in Norway or Sweden? Go ahead. I have friends living there that are paying about 80% of all their income to the government. Go right ahead. I think I'm smarter than government, and I think you are too. Number four, participate in government. It's our duty to be informed. It's our duty to take action. I believe, it, in my opinion, it's very shameful that millions of Christian people never voted in the last general election and even more in the midterms. And you get what you vote for. Or, in this case, what you didn't vote for. Number five, be persuasive in government. We are a democratic republic. Now, I learned that in the seventh grade. I learned it in the seventh grade. Are you teaching that, Jason? Eighth grade. Well, kids take a little more time these days. <laughs> Thank you for teaching it, Jason. Jason teaches social studies, American history, at Humboldt. I'm glad for you. And let me tell you, we're praying for you, too. I mean that. I'm not just praying for a win in the baseball column. I'm just... 
We are a re democratic republic. And you know what that means? That means that we elect people who represent us. And those people that we elected are sensitive to public opinion. And if they're not sensitive to it, they don't get elected again. Well, that's supposedly how it works. We need to be involved. We need to get the word of God into the hearts of people. There's a great freedom that I can think of. It's called spiritual freedom. And the Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. What powerful words. I'm glad they're in the Bible. We're bound by sin. We're bound by all of the things that come with sin. But the Bible says Jesus sets us free. Free from the penalty of sin, free from the pollution of sin. The freedoms we enjoy because of Jesus came at an incredibly high price. And we enjoy them today because he paid the price. I've shared with you truth this morning. The question is, what will you do with it? I hope you take it seriously. Our, need, our nation needs serious people, serious Christian people. Why not run for the school board? Why not? You're smiling at me. There must be a reason. I'll hear the story later. Why not do these things? I'm encouraging my granddaughter to run for a seat in the House, Iowa House of Representatives. It's not because she's my granddaughter, it's because she's smart, she's cute, <laughs> and she can talk on her feet. And she's my granddaughter. <laughs> and if necessary, I'll move to Pottawatomie County to vote for her. <laughs> if we want to be great again, we see the hats, don't we? Make America great again. Can I suggest a slight change? Let's make America godly again. Let's make America godly again. And that's going to make the difference. Stand with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for the freedoms of America. We thank you for the simple liberty that oftentimes we, we overlook. And many times we even take it for granted. We look for the simple liberty of being able to come into a place like this, a church. Church where the gospel is preached, where the Bible is faithfully taught and upheld as the word of life. Help us not to take that for granted. Father, we recognize there are peoples all over the world that would give virtually anything to set in a service like this. And so, Father, I thank you for the church. I thank you for the people of the church. Invigorate them. Motivate them. Fill them with the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. Help them to be truly that light of the world and the salt of the earth. Father, I pray that you'll engage our lives in the things that are important. Not the pettiness, but the things of importance. Father, help us to truly live lives consecrated to you, walking in holiness and righteousness. Father, help us to live lives that are lived with forgiveness and are lived with hope. 
Father, help us to live our lives with a view to the future and the goodness of God that would fill every day of our life. Father, I pray for people today and no doubt right in this place. They look to you for their hope. They look to you for their help. They look to you when clouds of discouragement darken the sky. Give them the brightness of your light once again. Let them see Jesus. Father, I pray all of these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Lift your hands with me. Would you do that? Father, may the Lord bless and keep every person. Father, cause your face to shine upon us and truly be gracious unto us. Father, lift up your countenance upon our lives, our homes, our families, the things that we do, the people that we will encounter this week. May there be a simple recognition that these people have been with Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.